0: Welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name's Liam West, but you've tuned in to listen to my contact expert. And that's Dr. Joshua Heary, who's a physiotherapist and hip osteoarthritis research and development lead at the La Trobe University Sports and Exercise Medicine Research Centre in Melbourne, here in Australia. Dr. Heary obtained his PhD in 2021, with his research programme focusing on the understanding the relationship between the hip joint imaging findings and pain, with their risk factors for development of early hip osteoarthritis in football players he's also currently a member of the international hip related pain research network and the young athlete hip research collaboration they're both multidisciplinary international research teams created to improve the care of people living with hip and groin conditions which all of you on the line actually have to manage in the clinic day to day dr Heery works clinically at life care paran sports medicine clinic here again in melbourne and has a really particular interest in the management long-standing hip and groin conditions, which we're going to talk about today on the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Heary.
1: Thanks, Liam. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. How common
0: is hip pain in footballers,
1: Josh? So that's a really good question, Liam. So I suppose there's, there's two points I would like to make. I think the first is probably not as common as you would think. And I think a lot of the confusion around how common hip conditions are probably stems from the high prevalence of imaging findings, in particular, probably CAM morphology that we see in athletes. And I think to build on that, we, we probably know in, in this space we know more about um, how common uh, these conditions are in men more than we do in women. But I suppose to to if we look at the prospective studies looking at uh, at time loss injuries, so those injuries that um, result in a, a football player in this instance missing training or match play, the large UEFA studies um, tell us that a, a less than five percent of all hip and groin conditions um, or hip and groin timeless injuries actually result from hip related conditions. So FAI syndrome, uh, labelled tears, et cetera. Um, what is probably more common is, is things like adductor related groin pain, which we know obviously we, we see a lot in, um, in, in football athletes in particular. But I think it, if we, I suppose, um, move our attention to studies that look at football players in particular with long-standing hip and groin complaints, that's probably where we see a really wide pre- um, range of prevalences. So for instance, um, some of the work that came from Rachel Taylor, um, who was based in Aspita, found that around 7% of all, um, of all athletes presenting with chronic hip and groin pain to their groin clinic had hip conditions. I suppose on the other side of that is that some studies from, um, from Northern Ireland found that, um, that hip-related conditions are, are really quite common in, in um, football players in particular with long-standing symptoms. So I think there's this, this really wide range of, of prevalences in studies probably probably stems from two main factors that what I mentioned before about the high prevalence of imaging findings. And second would be the, the differences in uh, diagnostic criteria we use between different studies that look at, at athletes with long standing hip and groin pain. And I think if we look at the other end of the spectrum in our retired athletes, that appears to be where hip related conditions Potentially become more of an issue. So we know that retired um, male footballers, in this instance, have a higher um, odds of developing OA once they finish their football career. So I suppose to sum that all up, it appears that um, hip conditions uh, are less common during the career of an athlete, and there are obviously are uh, uh, exceptions to that. Um, but they appear to become more common as the athlete is um, is going um, to the, end of the latter stages of their career and potentially once they finish playing their sport uh, in later life, they appear potentially to have a, um, a bigger um, impact on um, a retired athlete.
0: Let's work through a virtual clinic. Let's say I've got a previous semi-professional, so 42-year-old retired soccer player with hip and groin pain. He's in, he's in my clinic. How do you recommend I go about trying to diagnose what's probably my early suspicion of hip OA?
1: Yeah, and that's obviously a, a case that I'm sure many of the listeners have, have um, had in front of them um, in their clinical practice. I think the, f- the first thing I would say is that it's really important that we always consider conditions that masquerade as hip and groin pain, even in an athlete. So I think my first protocol is, is always, is there another um, a potential medical reason or non-musculoskeletal reason that may be causing or contributing to my, um, in this instance, football player's hip and groin complaint? Um, then if we sort of move through the, the different phases, then I think it's always important that we consider um, what the defined clinical entities that come from, obviously, the, the DOHA agreement. Um, and, then, and then building on that would also be ruling out things such as lumbar spine involvement, um, sacro joint involvement. And then we sort of come to the hip joint and, um, and then uh, we would be try, trying to work out a way that we can actually, um, I suppose, um, determine the relevance of the hip joint in our athlete. But most of these players will present with um, restricted range of motion, in particular flexion, but also internal rotation. Um, they, the distribution of symptoms may be anywhere from the groin around to the anterior or lateral hip, and they'll often complain of um, activity-related pain um, and, and potentially some stiffness uh, in the morning that, in most instances, should last for less than um, an hour if we're, th- if we're thinking OA.
0: Let's say that the patient midway through the clinic tells me that he's actually had an x-ray done. He reports that he's been told there's severe osteoarthritic changes, there's bone cysts, loss of joint space, osteophytes. His GP friend actually would have looked at the images and said, look, this is bone on bone. Those are the words that patients love to hear. He's pretty confused because he states actually, I've only got mild activity related pain. So why am I so bad? Like I must need an operation. Do you have any tips of how I should be tackling this in the clinic, that
1: disconnect? Yeah, it's obviously a um, it's always a tricky um, conversation to have um, with any patient, really, because often they've come with information that has told them that these imaging findings are relevant, whether that be from another health professional or from the radiology report. So I think um, the way I normally tackle that is um, is framing the symptoms that they often get through their their joint complaint if, if they uh, do have hip osteoarthritis in this instance. Um, and framing it within a biopsychosocial framework, so talking about the role of structure, so maybe the imaging findings, um, also touching on, um, you know, their, their, their sleep, their, um, their diet, um, their, their general systemic health. Um, and if you're if you framing it that way, then we can start to work out all the potential contributors to our athlete's symptoms. Um, and another nice t- um, trick that I often use is if they come with an AP pelvis x-ray, which they often do, It's actually asking them about their other hip. So often they have unilateral symptoms. They have contralateral um, radiographic changes that suggest osteoarthritis. So asking them about um, why they don't have symptoms on the other side, and and, and then it starts to get them to to think about this disconnect between imaging findings and and symptoms. Um, And we know it's well established in a number of different joints that there is potentially that disconnect. I think there are probably two strategies that I often use.
0: Yeah, I really like the employing of the biopsychosocial and trying to introduce that early on in the, in the clinic. Listening to you there uh, makes me think about um, one, of, one of my fantastic sports physician colleagues, Dr. Laura Lalanec, um, early on in my career, sort of taught me to use, you get wrinkles on the outside, you get wrinkles on the inside. If we don't expect changes, we, we're not really understanding the human body. We, we adapt to different stresses and and so this is age and activity appropriate changes and, and trying to empower them to say look this shows how much exercise you've done this is great uh, and turning what can be reported as a negative into a positive so it's more just a shout out to her for teaching me stuff so okay let's keep moving in the clinic we've got a little bit younger here so the next patient that comes in is a 17 year old australian rules footballer with groin pain that comes in The x-rays show a CAM and a pincer morphology. His father's with him. He asks, does this mean he'll definitely get osteoarthritis in the future and whether they should be going straight to an operation to remove these lesions, these bumps, um, and whether that'll help him?
1: Yeah, and this is, again, a a really common presentation that I'm I'm sure that many of uh, listeners have have had in front of of them in their clinic. Um, I think the way I would tackle this first is, is unpacking what they understand about CAM morphology so when, it, when do, they, do they know when it actually develops? So we know that in the majority of people, we consider primary CAM morphology that develops in skeletal, um, during the skeletal growth phase. So often patients think that this, uh, that this bony bump is something that's happened acutely, um, that happened around the same time as their symptoms came on. So um, providing them with education about how this bone, bony bump develops that it is really common for football players with and without pain like we know from so many different studies that around 60 to 70 of all players irrespective of whether they have symptoms or not will have cam morphology evident on x-ray or mri i think that information is really important um, as a starting point point. and then if we think about the relationship between cam morphology and hip OA more broadly we know we know most from middle age to older people so Really large community populations suggest that those that have CAM morphology are more likely to develop uh, hip osteoarthritis or undergo a total joint replacement um, from anywhere from um, within a five to nine year period. Um, but I think the important point to make there is that not everyone with CAM morphology will either develop hip osteoarthritis or undergo a total joint replacement. That's a really important, important point to take home today. If we um, focus specifically on athletes, we generally know less about the role of CAM morphology and early OA changes in athletes, purely and simply just because it's a really hard population to study, especially in in the elite setting. So there's there's one study which was conducted in the United States and they looked at high school athletes and they followed these athletes. They were around um, 15 or 16 at the time when they entered into the study till about when they were 21 to 22 years old, so over roughly about a five-year time period. And what they found was that the athletes that entered the study and had CAM morphology um, at the start of the study had a 2.5 times greater risk of, um, of having uh, progression of MRI changes over a five-year study period. Um, but again, not all those, not all, the, all the athletes with CAM morphology had structural progression on MRI. And some of the work that we've done here in Melbourne, in our force cohort, which um, is a a large, um, uh, uh, popular uh, prospective study, sorry, looking at um, semi-elite Australian football and soccer players found that those athletes with CAM morphology um, had a higher prevalence and greater severity of MRI, MRI defined labral and cartilage changes. But I think the important thing to take out of our study is that we actually saw that in football players with symptoms, but also those without symptoms. So it appears that these changes are occurring in, in athletes, but just because they're occurring, so the MRI changes, for instance, it doesn't actually always mean that the athlete will develop become symptomatic. The, the relationship appears really, really complex and, and we don't know enough in that space at the moment. So I think when we're talking about the risk of, of um uh, of OA development in athlete with CAM morphology, we need to be really clear, clear with what we do and don't know. It appears that it is related to structural changes in the joint, but uh, why and when an athlete becomes symptomatic or if they do, again, we need to know more. Um, it may be a, a combination of other um, acetabular um, morphological changes that may be um, they're playing in different positions on the, on the field. It may be that they have coexisting conditions such as adductor or or ileocellus-related pain. Um, it, it's just really quite complex and we don't know enough to be really confident to tell an athlete, yes, you are going to develop his hip osteoarthritis in the, um, the medium to the short to medium term.
0: That's why we've got individuals like yourself doing a PhD in the area to tell us the answers. One part of me there goes, well, if, if they are that common, we're not really sure yet. Why, why would I scan these individuals? Because I might just get confused by what I'm seeing, but, are there any areas where the literature shows that imaging is really important for us as the clinician?
1: There is, but I, I think what, what I would like to do is, is just take a little bit of a step back and actually talk about the imaging findings that are really quite common. So I think that, is, that helps you start to build your, uh, I suppose, uh, understanding of, 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 of when and, and, and what images imaging findings may be really relevant in your athlete. So some of the work we've done here at La Trobe um, has has, has shown that um, label tears, for instance, are seen in around 70% of football players, irrespective of whether they have symptoms. The same can be said for cartilage defects where around one in every um, two football players, irrespective of symptoms, will have MRI-defined cartilage changes. And again, we we, um, refer back to CAM morphology again, we know that around two-thirds of football players, again, irrespective of symptoms, will have foliage on, on, on X-ray. So I think knowing that, um, again, you can start to educate um, both your athlete and medical staff or a parent if, 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 um, if it's a younger athlete. But if we think about the, the findings that may be really relevant, we know that um, generally uh, if the, your athlete, athlete sorry presents with a greater severity of cartilage changes on MRI, then um, it is uh, their outcome at, say, hip arthroscopy is likely to be um, worse if we think about their symptoms and their function when we compare them to an athlete that doesn't have cartilage um, severe, um, severe cartilage changes. Um, we also know that uh, bone marrow edema um, on MRI and, and cystic change um, on MRI is associated with um, poorer outcomes after hip arthroscopy. Um, if we look at our conservative approaches, there's some preliminary evidence from uh, Nicola Casatelli, who's a, um, who's based in uh, in Switzerland, um, that shows that um, those uh, the individuals with FAR syndrome and larger cam morphology appear to be um, more likely to not respond to exercise-based therapies. But again, we we know more in the in the in, in the surgical areas, but less in the um, in the physiotherapy or exercise-led treatment space. But there are definitely features on imaging that. Um, that we need to be aware of. And if they are present, we need to have a really um, honest and open conversation with our athlete and the, the rest of the medical team to to highlight that the outcomes after our, our treatment approaches may not be um, what we think they're going to be or as optimal as the athlete may um, expect them to be. There's some really powerful
0: stats, I think, that straight away the clinician can use tomorrow. with their patients and I think you've coherently synthesized a large body of literature there in two minutes which is really useful for me and everyone else listening look whilst I've got you on the podcast I think it'd be remiss of me not to try and look into the future and and, and try and ask you really can you give us the inside scoop on what we should expect from um, research in the hip and groin area in the future?
1: Yes I think there's probably just a couple of really um uh, important areas that we need to know a lot, a lot more, a lot more about. Um, the first would be the role of high-impact sports and HIPAA development in women, in particular. Like we know that uh, that football codes are becoming um, uh, the women are, are, are participating in football codes at, a, at younger ages now, particularly here in Australia, when with the development of um, Australian football the, or, or the AFLW. So we we understanding the role of um, of, of these sports in HIPPOA development in women is probably an area which needs to be um, researched in greater depth. I think, uh, as I alluded to earlier in the podcast, the the role of cam morphology in athletes, again, we need to know more um, and uh, the longer, we need to follow our athletes over longer periods of time. So some of the work we're doing here at La Trobe University in our, um, our force cohort will um, hopefully um, answer some of these questions. But I think also we need to probably think about uh, Um, things other than CAM morphology and how they influence structural change in the joint so um, things such as uh, movement biomechanics, hip strength, um, hip joint function um, and and their role because we know we can probably modify those whereas obviously modification of CAM morphology is is far more um, complex and involved than it would be of those other other features Um, and then I think lastly probably identifying um, whether it be athletes or non-athletes that are particularly at risk of developing HIPAA early in life and then developing tailored and targeted treatments that um, can intervene early and, and potentially slow their, their um, disease trajectory so we can, um, we can um, I suppose, um, reduce the burden that we know exists in, those in, in younger people that have um, early onset hip osteoarthritis would probably be the three main areas I think we need to um, focus our attention on.
0: Right. Well, we will watch this space intently and thank you very much for your time and expertise and sharing it with listeners on the podcast with what's been a really clinically focused podcast today. And I really appreciate that, Josh.
1: Thanks, Liam. It's been a pleasure.
0: Uh, and thanks to you, the listener, for tuning into this BGSM podcast on hip and groin pain and the function of imaging for these patients. I hope that you can get to engage with the BGSM via our social media channels and that you get to have a very physically. active